All right, praise the Lord. Come on in, everybody. Have a seat. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. We make our way through the book of Colossians chapter 1. Obviously, we take communion this morning. We'll um, have uh, COVID-approved communion where? <laughs> so um, if you're not familiar, we normally uh, conclude the service with communion. Worship team will come back up. We'll sing. And while we're singing, then you just file up and uh, help yourself. It's a, you'll have to peel everything back. It's a little sticky, so you can do that. Uh, to get to the juice and the piece of wafer there. So anyway, that's that. Uh, communion table is an awesome experience to remember the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that gives us life. He causes us to be saved and have become Christians. And so we celebrate what he's done for us with communion. That's uh, it's really a believer's meal. So I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, some people are confused sometimes about should I take communion or not. Um, I'm not holding anybody back from the table. I believe if you are a Christian, then certainly come. And uh, if you are recognizing sin in your life as a Christian, then this is, don't let that hold you back either. This is exactly what uh, the juice and the cracker represent. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. So, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we'll pick it up this morning in verse 24, and let me just read through chapter 2, verse 3. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, remember whenever we see mystery, we clap. We applaud because that means something's being revealed, right? The mystery in the New Testament does not mean it's an unsolvable mystery, something you have, it's, it's puzzling. It's something that was previously unknown that is now made known. It's a revelation. So that's why we clap. It's like, oh, wow, something's been revealed, right? So the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, and that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." So, Lord, we are here to hear from you, and our hearts are open. Holy Spirit, make it plain and convict us and encourage us. Do whatever is necessary in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, clearly, Paul, here at this point in his letter to the Colossians, um, he shifts a little bit, actually quite a bit, um, if you remember last week, Paul just kept pointing to Jesus and presenting to us the glory of Jesus Christ. He started where we are. It's like, okay, he's my Savior. He has reconciled me to God. And he's speaking to the Christian church. And he's saying, okay, church, I understand that you're being influenced by philosophies and different things around you, and it's causing maybe you to question the veracity of Christ and his glory. And so Paul just points and he elevates the glory of Christ, which of course is the theme of this book to the Colossians. 
And so when Paul gets done, he talks about Jesus being supreme over creation and supreme over the church. And then in verse 23, let's just back up there just briefly. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul mentions himself there at the end of that verse, and then from there, he launches into his ministry as a servant of Jesus Christ. And I see four things. Uh, We see him suffering because of the glory of Jesus. We see him serving because of the glory of Jesus. We see him preaching the Scriptures because in them is revealed the glory of Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 29, he's striving, he's working hard because of the glory of Jesus Christ. It's working in him mightily. Actually, I guess I could add another one, and that is chapter 2, verse 1, his the great conflict. Paul actually experienced a certain amount of stress, I guess you would say, but it was a healthy sort of anxiousness that he had for the church itself. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Paul really giving himself as an example because of the hope of the gospel which you heard. What does the gospel mean? What's the word gospel mean? Good news. It's good news. What is the good news? In a nutshell, it's that you can live after death. That is the good news. Because Jesus died and lives again, the fulfillment of the gospel when a person repents of their sin and trusts in Christ with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, he gives us eternal life. We go from death to life. That is the hope of the gospel that Paul is talking about here at the end of 23. That's good news. And it's a reality. It's not a reality that we often think of, to be honest, right? I don't think about dying so much. Maybe a little bit more as you get older, but for generally, I just not, it's like there's so many other things in life that occupy our headspace that it's good. But we have Paul, that was not always the case for Paul. In fact, Paul at different points in his letters and other letters, he would say, I die daily. Or we had the sentence of death upon us. It was like everywhere Paul went, he was not sure he was going to make it out of that town alive. In fact, there was one experience, and we'll look at it together in a few minutes, where he actually was dragged out of the town. They thought he was dead. Okay? So Paul builds off of that in verse 24, and he says, the hope of the gospel just was like a daily experience for me because my future life in heaven with Jesus, I am facing that reality way more often than most people are. And he's saying, I'm doing that for the sake of others. So that's a remarkable statement that he makes. Um, I just want to pick apart some of the things that are said here because he says some challenging words. He says in verse 23... He mentions the hope of the gospel which you heard, and then he says, which was preached to every creature under heaven. And I think Paul, in saying that, obviously it wasn't literally true that every living human being at the time that Paul wrote this had heard the gospel. But I think what he's saying is that he knows that the gospel is unstoppable and that it will reach any heart that ever hears the truth of Jesus Christ. And I I, I believe he could also maybe even be speaking a bit prophetically, believing and knowing that the gospel is going to expand out into the outer regions of humanity. Started in Jerusalem, went to the farthest parts of the world. Paul himself bearing witness to that because he was the apostle to take the gospel out into the further reaches of the world. And he calls himself a minister of that gospel, of the hope of that gospel. 
That word minister is diakonos. It means servant. It's what you do, right? Doulos, as you guys are familiar with the Greek a little bit, that's who you work for. That speaks of your relationship. It's often related in English as the bond slave, right? That's who I work for. My ministry, that's what I do as I work for Jesus. And Paul's like, I am a gospel man, okay? I'm committed to taking the gospel out to people. Now, verse 24, ah, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, I want to read verse 24, and I want to eliminate the sentence or some of the words that are right in the middle of that sentence. So let's do that. He goes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you for the sake of his body, which is the church. Makes perfect sense, right? I now rejoice. Well, maybe it makes perfect sense. How do you rejoice in sufferings, right? But Paul's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for you for the sake of his body, which is the church. The hard part in that verse are the words that I omitted. And where he says, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Here's what I think that means. And I've read a bunch on this, and somebody once said there are literally 200 books written on trying to explain what that, those words mean. I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Varying opinions. I think really what Paul is saying there is that I am giving my life as an example, as a presentation, if you will, of, what it, of, of the hope of the gospel. As I experience afflictions, trials, and sufferings in my life in sharing the gospel. I think that's what he's saying there. When, when Paul became a Christian in Acts chapter 9, the Lord appeared to him in the midday and called him into, commissioned him, called him and commissioned him into his service. And uh, that was made known to Paul. And he basically said, Paul, I want you to know how much you're going to suffer for my sake in taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And so... I think what Paul is, could be saying there is that what Jesus had told me at the beginning of my conversion and what I'm experiencing right now is just constantly coming into my life, and he is using my suffering for the presentation, for giving people the example that the hope of the gospel is real. It's real. It's like... There is life after death. Now, Paul had an example presented to him before he was a Christian of this very thing. Go back to Acts chapter 7. Before Paul was a Christian, we, know, we knew him as Saul, right? That was his name. His birth name was Saul. In Acts chapter 7, uh, a godly man in the early church there in Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Stephen, stood up and began to testify. And in the room, Saul was there. And at the end of Stephen's testimony to these Pharisees and the religious leadership in Jerusalem, he basically called them out, verse 53, Acts 7, 53, he said, you have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Can I paraphrase that? You're sinners. You religious people are sinners and you need a Savior and it's Jesus Christ. Look at the reaction, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, Stephen said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of God or the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then he cried out with a loud voice, 
They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do you see the power of that? This man is dying for his faith. He's martyred for his faith. The first martyr in Christendom is Stephen here in Acts 7. And as he's dying, he's rejoicing. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Yes, my body is going, my heart's going to stop beating because of the beating you're giving me. And Saul's encouraging it as he's holding the garments of those guys throwing the stones. Saul's right there. And he has this powerful example of the gospel. The hope of the gospel was presented to him to him through the life of Stephen. What was lacking was being filled through Stephen's presentation of his testimony as he's dying. I believe that's what Paul is meaning there in verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. That's illogical. That is illogical, brothers and sisters, to get beat near to death multiple times. Look, Paul's persecutions are well documented. You can read the book of Acts. You start in chapter 13 as he went out into the mission field. And then you can read 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 and other various scriptures. And it's well documented. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 11, he goes down through this long list of shipwreck and beaten and in trouble with robbers and no food and no clothes and naked and cold and starving and depressed and perplexed and not sure what's going on. But we're never without hope. How can you do that? How can you do that? You can't without the indwelling testimony of the Holy Spirit saying, you're going to live after you die. You're going to live after you die. It's a reality, Paul. Paul had that example presented to him by Stephen. And so, yes, it might sound illogical. I'm rejoicing in my sufferings because it benefits you. It might be illogical, but as sure as a demonstration of love, is it not? That is a demonstration of love like no other. And so in a world of competing ideologies and truth claims and various religious beliefs, where there's arguments or maybe even there's arguments for no faith, reason, my brother, that's the answer. You don't need God. There is no God. We're everything, and we will take care of it all by ourselves. In a world that these Colossian people were living in, and they were being distracted and troubled by all this influence around them, Paul says to them, Believer, in your doubts and struggles with faith, keep seeking the treasure that is Jesus Christ who lives inside of you. Live faithfully for Him, whatever the cost and you will discover more and more of his glory. That's a fact. Live faithfully for him, and more and more of his glory will be revealed to you. Unbelievers, Paul would say to them, in your search for answers to the purpose and meaning of life, search out the life of Jesus Christ before and after his death, because he was seen by many after his death. And, and examine his claims, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Because I live, you will live. This is the hope of the gospel. And sometimes we need it exampled for us, as Paul, I believe, is what he's saying there in Colossians 1.24. While we're in Acts, let me show you. Paul had an example set for him. He later became an example. This might help us understand a little bit. Acts chapter 
where is it? Acts chapter 14. And we'll begin at verse 8. Now, before I read this, I just want to repeat myself because I need to cement this in my own mind, okay? The reason we're reading this, the reason I had us read about Stephen is I, I believe that what Paul meant in Colossians 1.24, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. I believe what he means there is that What's happening in my body, in my life, through my sufferings, it benefits you. In other words, my testimony encourages you. Amen? <laughs> Amen? Yes, it's true. We read stories about brothers and sisters who paid the ultimate price, right? And it encourages us, those of us who are believers, because like, man, that brother lived faithfully unto death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, Revelation 12. Those people who refuse the mark of the beast and they lose their life as a result. They overcame. They overcame what? They overcame death. The truth of the gospel, the hope of the gospel was lived out through them and that encourages other people. Paul saw that as his life's work. It was communicated to him on the day of his conversion. You're going to suffer for my namesake, Paul. For my namesake. As people hear the testimonies of all the crazy stuff you've gone through, it's going to encourage the church. I'm going to fill up that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And as people hear about it, that example, that presentation that comes to their ears as they hear about Paul, they're going to go, you know what? I'm going to live for Jesus. In the choices that I make, I mean, we're going real time, right? In the choices that I make, the conversations I have, who I'm friends with, right? Or what is the purpose of my friendship with those believers or unbelievers? It's to testify of the Lord, to see the glory of Christ live through my life. So here is another example. Paul had an example in Stephen, and now he is an example to a bunch of people who have never heard of Jesus. So here we are, Paul in Acts 14, verse 8. In Lystra, or Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, now check this out, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Their response to what this miracle in broad daylight in the public square was, oh my goodness, there's an example of gods become, the gods are here. It's a presentation of their presence. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes, ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Paul is like, he, he was barely holding them back from offering sacrifices to idols because they completely misunderstood the example that was presented to them. Now watch this. 
Then Jews from Antioch, the previous town where Paul had been, and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they'd stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Oh my goodness! They grabbed Paul by the ankles and grabbed him out of, and dragged him out of town. And they're all standing there going, now what? The apostle's dead. Paul's eyes open up and, he, and he's like, it's illogical. But you see, but he walks back into town and he gives himself as a presentation saying, no, no, no. I love you. God loves you. There is life after death. I just think that's a beautiful example of what Paul was referring to in Colossians chapter 1. A couple more verses here in Acts 14. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom, brothers. <laughs> All right? So we need that example. And Paul saw that in his own life. His sufferings were for the sake of the body. So we can go back to Colossians with me. I read uh, J. Oswald Sanders. Some of you guys know that name. But he tells of... Uh, an indigenous missionary walking barefoot from village to village in, Indi in India. And after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, this man came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel there before evening settled in. The villagers rejected him and drove him out of town. We don't want to hear you. Exhausted and discouraged, he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. Later in the evening, he suddenly was awakened to find the village was all around him. And the main man was over him, and though he was startled, the man said, We came out to see what kind of man you were, and when we saw your blistered, bloody feet, we felt bad for what we had done and concluded, You must be a holy man with a very important message for us. We are here to let you speak to us. His sufferings indicated God's presence in his life, and it brought a witness to other people. And Paul's like, that's what I live for. I'm there for the sake of the church and my testimony. The stuff you read about me, it's true. The hope of the gospel is true. So I think just to take that one step further, the Lord is saying to all of us, take up your cross and follow me. This is the Christian life. Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross. Count the cost. Pastor Scott, stop seeking everybody's approval and, and, and friendship. Certainly love others, but also declare the gospel clearly. And if that results in hardships, I have a life after death. Can you get any better than that? No. This is the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And by the way, in that little portion there in John, when the Lord's telling his disciples that he's going to go away and he's going to prepare a place for them, then he's going to come again. You know what's interesting? He never really talks about what heaven is like. The whole focus is the fact that you and me are going to be together. The glory of heaven is God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. And it's the attachment and the attention that we have with Jesus that we see in a glass darkly now. It's like, ah, you know, I wish like Andrew was saying, right? I wish there was a, a clearer, sometimes just visible. Paul's like, no, 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 I live by faith. I, I keep my eye on what is not seen rather than what is seen. And these temporary trials that I'm going through, they just increase a greater weight of glory, Paul would say. I think, it's just, in other words, it's just the, the reality of the unseen becomes more real to me. And, and to have experienced Paul, to have been in his sandals, 
you wake up, it's like, how did I get out here? I went to sleep. I was in the stadium telling everybody about Jesus. Then he wakes up and he's outside of the scene. He's got welts all over him. Big headache. And he's like, let's go back in. Because there's life after death. God's just given me life again. Let's go tell them. This is what we're looking for. It's the answers. It's the pursuit of life. The testimony. Is our life a testimony? (laughs) The testimony that encourages other people. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. For the sake of the body. What's happening in my life demonstrates the reality of the gospel, the hope of the gospel. Have we got this? Hopefully we've got this. These words that Paul has said here, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Obviously that doesn't mean that Jesus' atoning death needed Paul's help. All right? It doesn't mean that at all. It sounds like that. It sounds heretical. But it's absolutely not. Right? Paul would preach that, faithfully preach that. In fact, he just got done preaching that. The reconciliation was accomplished through the body of his flesh, through death. Right? So it's a great uh, words there. Very challenging words, but powerful words from this Apostle Paul. Verse 25 and 26, we see here his service, of which I became a minister. He says it again. This is my life's work, is to do whatever I, comes my way to encourage people, believers or unbelievers, that there is a God, that his name is Jesus, that he rose from the dead, and he gives life to those who repent and believe in him, eternal life. Isn't it fascinating? Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. Paul's dead. He's in heaven. But this truth remains because Jesus is alive. That never stops. It was true. Then it's true today. He says, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Right? So God told Paul to take the, the gospel out into the world, and Paul is being faithful to do that, and he's telling us that the, the fulfilling of this message is that the gospel is not for the Jew only, but it's for anybody who's alive, <laughs> Jew or Gentile. That is the mystery that he's talking about here, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, right? The mystery that Jew and Gentile become this new entity called church, right? What's that thing? Here's the church, here's the steeple, right? Open the doors and see all the people, (laughs) right? The church is people. This is just... We call this church, this building that we're standing in, but it's just a building. (laughs) We're the church because Jesus is in us. And, And praise the Lord, diverse group, small group, very diverse, beautiful. I don't know if anybody has some Jewish lineage. Maybe, maybe not. But Paul, the churches that he planted throughout Turkey and on into West Eastern Europe, those churches were very diverse, Jew and Gentile. It was beautiful to see. That's the mystery. God worked exclusively with the Jew up until the time of Jesus, and now that old covenant, this old way of working is now transferred now to this new way, which is the church. We are now the light of the world, and the gospel is presented through us. That's the mystery that Paul was fulfilling that word and it was the stewardship that God had given to him. So his service and his faithfulness in that was just a powerful testimony. Verse 27, to them, that is to the saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's one of the great verses or statements that Paul would ever make. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. You all can memorize that, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have and I have, my brother and sister, this internal testimony, this internal witness. And I, and I pray you know that. But you will know that when you are born again. The Spirit of God comes into us. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, He now lives in me. The one that I'm going to meet and see face to face is now actually residing, abiding in me now. Guaranteeing, giving me that internal witness that you're going to make it, Scott. Keep going forward. Give your life constantly to me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, Him we preach. <laughs> Paul's words, I preach the Scriptures, right? To fulfill the Word of God, I preach the Scriptures. I see the glory of Jesus in the Scriptures, and it is Him that we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Don't be offended, ladies. The word man is anthropos. It means a human Okay, he's not referring to, it's, just, it's just man's ministry. This is uh, men's ministry here. No, he's just talking about warning everybody. We preach. This is Paul's threefold ministry, right? I'm preaching, warning, and informing, instructing, teaching everyone in wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's hard to warn people. Uh, it came with the territory, it came as part of the responsibility that Paul had as a leader to actually say, you know what, be careful. <laughs> you still have a fallen nature. I think one of his challenging warnings was when he was saying goodbye to his dear friends in Ephesus. And he gathered the leadership of the church of Ephesus together in Acts chapter 20. And he said the most amazing thing, he sort of dropped a bombshell right in the leadership meeting. He's like, you guys... Stay faithful to what the Lord's called you to. And oh, by the way, some of you are going to rise up and you're going to cause problems. And Paul's like, for everybody, wow, really? Yeah. There's wolves among the sheep. Right? So he warns. Um, that was just an example. I mean, warning takes all its admonition, Right? You know, and by the way, this is something that the body of Christ can do among ourselves. You see a brother overtaken in a fault, come alongside. It's like, hey, bro, what's up? You know, you, you know, hopefully we know each other well enough to go, something's not right, man. I need that of you. You need that of me. It's not my job. It is part of my job, but it's, part of, it's, the, it's the care of the church together. As Paul would say, that you'd be knit together in love. Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. What's that mean? Not sinless, but people who sin less. That's what that means. It literally means you're mature. You grow up. Right? That's the... That's what happens when there's preaching and warning and instruction with wisdom. And it comes from a heart of a pastor, Paul, who has experienced the glory of Christ like very few of us. I mean, we look at this guy and you go down through the list of things that has happened in his life when he ministered, and it's like amazing. But he kept seeing more and more of God's glory. In fact, there was a time when Paul actually experienced demonic, outward, literal demonic influence. He said, I have a messenger of Satan who constantly buffets me, makes my life miserable. Why? So I don't get conceited. Because when I get done preaching, people go, oh my God, can I have your autograph? And Paul's like, no. But inwardly he's like, oh, that was really cool. And I got this messenger of Satan constantly keeping me on the edge of, I can't do this any longer. And Jesus would say, my grace is sufficient. 
And when, when it's all said and done, Paul would go, oh my Jesus, you are alive. I can't believe you gained the power and the wisdom and the anointing that came through and the response that came from somebody who minutes before the service started was like, I need help. <laughs> you all know what that's like. I mean, we all experience this in some way in our lives, whether it be in parenting or in marriage, or just in any other interpersonal relationship, friendships that we have that go south for some reason. It's deeply challenging stuff. Words get said, things happen, there's offense, there's it's like hatred, and there's vindication, and all this stuff going on, and the Lord's like, aha, now you're coming to me, good. I'll work in that situation. When you've come to the end of your own strength, as Paul would say in verse 29, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He keeps going forward. His suffering, his service, the scriptures, the glory of Christ and all of it. And to this end I labor. This is my life's work. Striving according to his working. Paul worked hard for the glory of Christ. He disciplined, he prioritized his time so that it wasn't spent just in fluff, doing nothing. There's a place and a time for doing nothing. And God bless, I love those times. Just like, I'm not going to think for a while. I'm just going to veg out. Or I'm going to just change the brakes or do a completely different job, something that occupies me otherwise. It's called a Sabbath. You need to take a Sabbath, brother and sister. <laughs> to this end I also labor, striving according to his working. Isn't that amazing? Paul never arrived. He's like, you know what? I think I'll retire. <laughs> I put in my time. He's like, I got a bunch of churches. They'll support me. All I got to do is ask. He's like, I'm just going to go right to the end. To this end, I will keep working. And he, as he got older, the sufferings didn't stop. He's writing from a prison cell. Paul had aspirations, my brothers and sisters. He tells, tells us about that in Galatians. His desire, he thought his life purpose was to climb the corporate ladder to end up being the top dog in Jerusalem. He was trained at the feet of Gamaliel the most well-respected rabbi of Paul's day. And Paul was an outstanding student. What do they call that? Magnum cum laude or whatever. <laughs> right? He got the regalia on, man, at graduation. And he was, he was there. And then he met Jesus. He goes, I counted it all as dung. It's just waste product. Because that couldn't have given me life after death. Jesus gave me the hope of the glory of the gospel is now mine. Why? Because he saved my life. And so Paul, with his whole life work, his, his whole life completely changed. His education, his training, his work, everything was toward that one thing, to become the man. And he was very effective at it. He says, I was putting people down as I was going up. I was getting published, I was being recognized, I was something. Little did Paul know, he's going to end up in a prison cell in Rome, writing letters as his eyesight is failing, in his body, there's no aspirin, or ibuprofen, brofruit, what do they call it? <laughs> Whatever, doctors are in the house, you know what I'm talking about. Well, he had a doctor. He had Luke, the physician, was his personal doctor. Paul, like, needed a doctor. <laughs> Pouring oil and wine. It's like, dude, we got more. Luke, man, Luke was busy. This dude's got broken bones all the time. I rejoice in my sufferings. You know what bothers me about that word? It's plural. And it's present tense. It's not just, yeah, I had a little experience, got kicked. No, it's just everywhere I go. Because Paul was a gospel man. Jesus charged me to preach the gospel to anybody, every man that will listen. 
Because the gospel's for all men. All have sinned. He died for all. Simple. Repent. Come to Christ. Have eternal life. What's important to you, my brother, my sister? What is important to me? How much we make, how much we earn, how much education, who I know, my marriage, my family, my home, all the things that we find our identity or value in. Paul had an identity that defies logic. They're dragging him out of the city. He wakes up, thank you, Jesus. I rejoice because somehow death in me means life to them. Let's go back in and tell them. Now that this has happened, we've got a real show and tell. Let's go tell. Sufferings. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you so much. And I think in context, Paul is relating to them, these people that he's never seen, the truth of the glory of Christ. As they were beginning to have their own personal doubts and questions, Paul's now telling them a bit about his life and using it to encourage them. So you don't drift away from what you know. Don't drift. Move away from the hope of the gospel. In fact, Paul would say to us, you know, I, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time that I could speak these things to you, but I just want you to know that what's true for me, it's true for you. You seek him. You live for him. Jesus said it. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, and I'm not saying afraid with this, probably a bad word. I'm not afraid. I just think in reality, the way culture is going here in America today, it's going, it's going to get increasingly more difficult to be outspoken about our faith. Especially if you're going to ground it in the Word of God. If it's going to come based out of what is written in the Scriptures. Because there are things in here that are absolutely opposed to the prevailing attitude of the world today. What is marriage? What is a man? What is a woman? What is true? There's a lot of things that are just all over the place. And to stand up and lovingly and carefully and calmly and boldly present what we know to be true because of the internal witness and the power of Him working mightily in me, it may end up with a punch in the face. Eggs on your house. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But Paul's like, I'm not bummed out about my sufferings. No, no. I have seen and experienced more in my fellowship with Him through those sufferings that only strengthen me and my resolve that, yes, you know what? When I kiss this world goodbye, I'm entering into his presence because he has revealed himself to me. It's absolutely conclusive, and I am fully persuaded. It's ridiculous to most people that are outside of the church But maybe our testimony will have an, infat, an input, an impression like Stephen did with Paul. Paul felt very justified in putting that man to death. Just in closing, uh, a little story that I read again, um, a church in Haiti. <laughs> this actually happened not long ago. It was having a Thanksgiving festival and each Christian was invited to bring a love offering. Just another example of a man who gave and the testimony and the encouragement that came from that. So they're having this uh, church is having this Thanksgiving festival down in Haiti. Christians who are part of the church are invited to bring a love offering to help supply what was needed for the meal. One envelope came from a man named Edmund and it had $13 cash. Now, in that world, Haiti is third world, that would be like 
you know, us opening up the box, tithe box, and finding, you know, thousands of dollars cash. The amount was three months' wages for a working man. Those counting the money were shocked to see such a large gift. They looked around for Edmund, but they couldn't find him. Later, they met him in the village and questioned him. They pressed him for an explanation and found that Edmund had sold his horse in order to give the $13 to God for the sake of the gospel. And then they asked, but, but why didn't you come to the Thanksgiving meal? He hesitated. They pressed a little further. He didn't want to answer. Finally, Edmund said, because I didn't have a shirt. I didn't even have a shirt. I didn't want to come topless. <laughs> even though he had that $13. What a great example, amen? Like, man, that guy just put his faith on his feet. He said, I'm just going to demonstrate the love of Jesus that has touched my life through a little bit of money. I need to hear this message. It's so easy to get comfortable. Isn't that what we live for in America? Chicken in every pot, couple cars in the garage, Netflix Apple, you know, subscription, <laughs> and away we go until death do us part. Paul thinks like prioritizes. He brings the glory of Jesus into real life. So those are my words to us this morning. Paul's words to us. We've sitting underneath his, his discipleship. Um, so let's, I'll pray and worship people. Come on up, please, and take communion together. Maybe based on what Paul has communicated to us this morning. Try to get out of Angie's way here. Um, maybe the communion would just have that much more of an impact on us, right? This is a representation of his body and his blood. <laughs> he rejoiced for the joy that was set before him. I will endure, endure the cross. That joy was the confidence that when he dies, he goes to heaven. But it also was that he knew the church would be born. He would have a personal relationship with us. And that thrilled his heart. God loves the world that much that he gave his only son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message from Paul this morning. I just so appreciate his, yeah, his exhortation to this church in Colossae. the impact that comes from Paul's testimony of his serving and his sufferings and all the scriptures, and his personal testimony. Thank you, Lord. So minister to us, Spirit, as we sing and take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.